Enterprise Management 360. Welcome to this Enterprise Management 360 podcast interview. Today we are speaking with Jim Harris. Jim is an international best-selling author and disruptive innovation thought leader. His works in disruptive technologies are invaluable efforts in raising awareness toward global issues regarding the world, climate change, and the future of technology. Welcome, Jim. It's a real pleasure to speak with you today. It's great to be on the show, Thomas. So in one of your talks, you mentioned great use case where Tesla's disruptive energy topped their sales over those of other historically established brands and cars. So what should companies look out for with disruption to stay on top? Technologies that are more user-friendly, greener technologies, what's the key? Pour avoir un site bien conçu et bien référencé, il y a ceux qui galèrent bien. Et puis il y a les autres, ceux qui veulent créer eux-mêmes leur site facilement et ceux qui préfèrent ne rien faire. Pour eux, Yono s'occupe de tout. Ce qui est sûr, c'est qu'avec Yonos, on peut toujours faire appel à son conseiller personnel, comme s'il était dans le bureau d'à côté. À choisir, vous préférez quoi Un tuto ou un conseiller que vous finirez par tutoyer À bientôt sur Yonos, ionos.fr slash podcast. Bonne écoute So first off, I'd say that most people don't understand exponential change. Thomas, I'm going to give you a choice. And when I give you this choice, you're going to only have three seconds to choose, okay? We're in March right now, March 2019. So I want you and all your listeners to pretend it's March 1. Now, here's the choice. I'm going to give you either $10 million dollars or I'm going to give you a penny. And you're going to have to choose which you'd like, $10 million or a penny. Now, there's a catch. I'm going to give you the $10 million on March 31st. And remember, today is March 1. Or I'm going to give you a penny today, Thomas, and then I'm going to give you two pennies tomorrow, and then I'm going to give you four pennies on March 3rd, okay? In other words, I'm going to give you double the number of pennies every day until March 31st. Okay, so your choice now, Thomas, do you want a penny on March 1 that doubles every day, or would you like $10 million on March 31st? Three seconds, go. What do you want? I'm going to go with the pennies, I think. Well, you're actually very wise because those pennies, you end up with $20.2 million. In other words, you end up with double the $10 million I offered you. Now, people don't understand the power of exponential change, but we're experiencing a world full of exponentially changing technologies, not just technologies, but world population. For instance, today, there are more people alive on the planet than all human history, pre-human history combined. So that places burdens on our ecosystems. But technologies are improving. So if you go back to, for instance, 1961, and you look at a computer from 1961, a gigaflop a gigaflop is a billion transactions per second. A gigaflop in 1961 cost $153 billion. Last year in 2018, it cost two cents. So the price performance improvement of computing has been head spinning. And 
practically what that means is all of a sudden voice assistants like Alexa and Siri and uh, Google Home all become possible because we have this huge amount of compute power available to us in essence for free. So what happens is that we're experiencing dozens of different exponentially improving technologies today. And because these technologies are all improving at the same time, the compounding effect on certain industries can be huge. And then disruption happens because new entrants coming out of left field using these new technologies completely disrupt traditional slow-to-change incumbent industries. So it's quite an exciting time. And in terms of the greener technology, one of the reasons that Tesla is in existence is to create a carbon-free future by using electricity to power vehicles. So Tesla cars, which are very sexy, very exciting, have been experiencing a price performance and improvement in battery technology. Like in 2010, it was about $1,000 per kilowatt hour for lithium-ion battery technology that would power an electric vehicle. And that has fallen by more than 80%. So the initial cars that Tesla sold were Roadsters at a quarter million. Now it can sell Model 3s at $35,000 because the battery technology is more than 80% cheaper from when Tesla began selling Roadsters. And that will continue to decline dramatically to a point where, depending on who you believe, Bloomberg New Energy Finance says that EVs will be cheaper than gas-powered cars by 2020, but Elon Musk's cost curve says that's going to happen in 2020. So imagine how traditional car companies are going to do when EVs are cheaper to buy. They're already cheaper to operate and run over their life cycle. But imagine what's going to happen to the traditional car company industry when they're cheaper on capital cost. So we're living in pretty interesting times. And speaking of living in interesting times, I mean, in your book, uh, Blindsided, you discuss how businesses can identify early trends of change and disruption. And we were living in a time where change and disruption seems to be the sort of predominant narrative at all times. So how are companies currently failing up to live to this disruption? And where can they practice more adoption of, you know, more adaptive technologies? So that example I, I gave you of the penny doubling, you know, the first 10 days, at the 10th day, I just gave you $5.12. It doesn't look like there's very much happening, whereas you're looking forward to getting $10 million on March 31st if you pick the other option. By the end of the 20th day, I just gave you $5,200. Again, it's looking nowhere near to where you're going to be if you were to have picked the $10 million option. But between day 20 and 30, it begins to get really interesting. And at the end, the very last day, I give you $10 million, which is day 31, and you've had $10 million combined in the prior 30 days. So it's at the end that people can see the exponential change. So 
until it hits 1% of the final number, it's below the radar for most people. And that's what traditional companies and corporate executives have trouble seeing, that the exponential change in its early industries is so small, it's below the 1% threshold that they can't see it. And then once it hits 1%, it's only seven more doublings until it hits 100%. So if you have a trend, say a number of users of a new system, like let's say a new app comes out on smartphones and the number of people downloading and using the app is doubling every month, once you hit 1%, it's only seven more months until it's 100% of the smartphone audience in the world. Or if you look at solar power, the adoption of solar power right now is doubling every two years. And that doubling has happened for the last 40 years like religion. And so I'm going to make a really groundbreaking prediction here on your podcast that seven more doublings every two years in 14 years, solar power will be 100% of the world's power electricity supply. Now, People in traditional power industries can't understand that because they look out in the market and they see, oh, globally, solar is only 1%. So there's no way in 14 years it could be 100%. And yet they don't see that for the last 40 years, it's been doubling religiously every two years. And so this is one of the reasons why people get blindsided. Now, from an environmental perspective, this offers us hope. Because we don't need fossil fuels. We don't need nuclear, which is horrifically expensive. In fact, the cheapest power in the world right now is solar and wind. We have 20-year supply contract that are less than two cents a kilowatt hour now for solar and wind, which no other form of power can compete with. So, you know, the change is already here. People in the power industry just can't see it yet. So whether it's trying to get people to understand how they're getting blindsided or raising awareness about the sort of environmental side of how we approach energy, what, in your opinion, has been the most challenging part of your career? Imagine you run into somebody who's never tasted a strawberry in their life, and they ask, what is a strawberry like? How would you describe a strawberry to them? Well, you might say it's like a raspberry, but they've never had a raspberry. Or it's like a blackberry. You never had one of those. So how do you describe something to someone in such a way that they deeply, profoundly understand it when they have no experience whatsoever with it? So here's what I'm trying to get at. Who's closest to the future, Thomas? The 65-year-old CEO doesn't know really how to use a smartphone to its fullest potential, who has his assistant print off all his emails so he can read them, or the 18-year-old who's on Tinder? Who's closest to the future? Well, the 18-year-old seems to be the most plugged in. Exactly. Who does all the strategic planning in the organization? Sadly, not the (laughs) 18-year-old. Yes. Who's most disenfranchised from strategic planning? That'll be the 18-year-old again. So is it any wonder that we only get incremental change? So I don't want to be ageist here. I don't want to suggest just because your listener has gray hair or no hair, they can't be a digital revolutionary. They can be. But, you know, demographically, the older you get, the more 
conservative you tend to be in going with what you already know. So part of the challenge of disruption is how do we become lifelong learners regardless of age? How do we continually go back and explore new ideas, new technologies, new business models, new ways of adding value for our customer? That has to be part of this. And the change has to be personal. It has to be on a team level. It has to be on a company-wide or organization-wide level. And ultimately, we need it on a societal level. For instance, the climate scientists have told us that if we don't profoundly change societies, nations, the way our world works within 12 years, we're going to create an irreversible downward spiral of climate catastrophe. So this is a clarion call for humanity to really transform. So you in particular, I mean, speaking of sort of dealing with a lot of CEOs who might not be as plugged in as the millennials or Gen Z, you know, you've worked with a lot of Fortune 500 companies to help improve their strategies and optimize their embrace of new technologies. You have touched upon this a little bit in your last answer, but I just wanted to know, what's one thing that you wish more major companies knew about disruption and new technologies? Well, if companies knew how perilous the path is we are right now on, in terms of our very planetary survival, we would see a kind of transformative effort, like the efforts, a warlike level of effort to address climate change and to transform our society. You know, we still have oil and gas companies spending millions of dollars trying to create uh, confusion about climate change. We have, we have no idea really, at the society-wide level of how much transformation we need. Now, thankfully, there is good news. There are far more jobs in renewable energy than there is in fossil fuels. But that involves transformation. And change is something that organizations on a collective level and people on a personal level often find very difficult. Speaking a little bit more about the kind of money that gets invested in trying to sort of hide or sweep the environmentalist issue under the rug. You know, for quite a few years, it's actually been painfully restated over and over and over again in articles. 70% of the world's pollution is actually coming from the same 100 companies. So when you're an enterprise leader and you run a major corporation or a major company, what can you do as that leader to try and stay off this path? And why should you in the long run? Why would it benefit you to invest more in renewable energies? Well, I want to give you a story. I'm a Canadian. And one of the companies that used to be very prominent in Canada was called Nortel. And it worked in the telco space. Nortel was a very big user of CFCs, carbon fluorochlorides, which ate away the ozone layer. So there was a global protocol agreed upon called the Montreal Protocol to phase out CFCs. Now, Nortel could have done a couple things. They could have hired PR companies to attack the science or sow doubt that this really isn't the case and retard the adoption of this. But Nortel took a very different approach. They said, we're going to, instead of wait 10 years from when the deadline kicks in, we're going to begin the process right now of eliminating those CFCs. 
and they created three different internal committees with external suppliers on them to brainstorm around it. The first was just how to more efficiently use these CFCs. And Nortel used to use CFCs for circuit boards that they would manufacture and solder. And the CFCs were used to clean the excess solder off the circuit boards. So the first group, which was focused on efficiency, ended up using more finely aimed nozzles and recapture methods for the CFCs afterwards. And they were able to reduce their CFC usage within six months by 40%. And when you actually looked at it, Nortel was spending $50 million a year on CFCs. So this just initial payback was a $20 million a year saving, which over 10 years is $200 million. So the fact that there was this global standard drove $200 million of savings over the decade in advance of the protocol being enforced. The second group looked at working with suppliers on scouring best practices around the world to get other ideas. And the third group looked at industrial redesign. And in the end, they worked with their solder maker to develop a new low solid flux for solder that didn't leave residue on the board after soldering, so it didn't need to be cleaned off, which eliminated the other $30 million a year of CFC use. So in the end, this global standard saved Nortel $50 million a year for the 10 years in advance of the Montreal Protocol kicking in. Now, had the protocol not been created there would have been no urgency around industrial re-engineering of their process. There would have been no $500 million saving for the company. So when you look at the payback on this, the fact that there was this global standard was a huge gift because it was an impetus for transformation at the manufacturing level and saved the company a half billion dollars. Now, the company had other problems and doesn't exist anymore, but that doesn't in any way take away from the incredible power of this example. It's a great example, and I actually, you know, I find it quite reassuring. But now, sort of moving more into a little darker territory, you know, we, we've, we've had quite a lot of really great examples, and the penny test that you gave at the very beginning was a very reassuring one as to how investment into things that will become disruptive works really well. But we finish all our interviews with the same question. Jim, what is it that keeps you up at night? Well, not very much keeps me up at night because I sleep very, very well. But what worries me about the future of our planet, the future of species, the future for my wife and I don't have any children, but we have a dozen godchildren and some of them now have godchildren, what deeply, deeply worries me is this issue of climate change. And we need to literally transform our society, transform organizations, transform our government, the way it works, in order to literally survive. And I don't know how much more clearly scientists need to say it. They can't say it any more clearly. We need to get busy on this transformation. And so the only way to solve an exponentially growing problem is with an exponentially growing solution. And so the awareness of the need to change, 
how we go about changing, that is what I have dedicated my life work to. So my way of remaining calm, despite this crisis of uh, existence, really, is to keep working in the areas that I work in, to drive change, to wake people up as to how we can change more quickly, how we can scale solutions. So yes, I'm very worried, but I'm very engaged with everything that I can do in my own realm. Well, I could not agree more. And I do also think we should all be very worried about it, but also think we should be very excited for what could come out of this and what kind of world we could be living in eventually. But anyway, thank you so much, Jim. It's been a huge pleasure talking to you, especially about a little bit about the environmental issues that are happening right now. It's something that definitely worries me as a millennial, so it was great getting to talk to you about it. Is there anything you'd maybe like to plug before we go, maybe your book or a website? Well, I'll send you a link. There's a talk that I've given to, you've no doubt seen TED Talks online. Canada's answer to TED is called Idea City. And I'll send you links to a couple of Idea City talks I've given one about autonomous vehicles, which your listeners can watch, and then they'll have deeper sense of what it is I do. And if any listener does have a conference or seminar where they enjoy me doing a disruptive innovation presentation, they can email me at jim at jimharris.com. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for that, Jim. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. And thank you to you for listening. For more podcasts like this, head to em360tech.com. For more podcasts like this, head to em360tech.com.